Good uh, afternoon, everyone. Uh, we're here, GBV Charitable Trust, talking um, more today about uh, child trafficking, uh, infant and child rape, the prevalence of it. We're also going to cover uh, the topics of the healthcare system in Kenya, or lack thereof, healthcare system. Uh, and uh, I've got Lani here. We're going to talk about the rehabilitation process. Hello. Lani's been a donor and supporter of ours for quite a few years. When when did we link up? Maybe 2017? Yeah. Maybe yeah, I think, before yeah. I moved to Kenya? Yeah. So earlier, it might have been 2016 or maybe 2015, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. But um, catching up with Lani, it's been it's wonderful to be here in very sunny Auckland. I've popped over here um, with my partner at the moment. He's over here for business and it was a last minute decision while the borders were open for him to come over for a few days. So really good to be over here and finally meet you face to face. It's it's nice. Being in Kenya means I don't get to see many of the international donors, but um, it's been great to catch up with them. It's it's such a nice opportunity to meet with you and talk with you. Thank you. I never, ever thought I would meet you. (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, if you told me last week, oh, you're going to go to New Zealand next week and meet some donors, I'd be like, what? I wouldn't have believed it. I didn't even think the borders were going to open. We're stuck in our island prison in Australia at the moment. So, um... Running the show uh, 24 hours from Sydney, Australia for the last couple of months or really nearly for the last year. Um, we've got some amazing staff over there that have worked with us for a long time. So they're on top of everything. We've got the surgical teams and obviously our partners at um, the DCI and the Child Protection Unit and um, some some friends of ours over there that are keeping a good eye on everything. So been it's been bloody hard being away from my kids and my dog and everything but um yeah everything's still chugging along and kids are being rescued and stuff so it's also amazing how you can still run everything while you're not currently in Kenya as well so things can keep chugging along and yeah well that's what happens when you live there and you've spent many years of your life there yeah you can make things sustainable and secure enough that you've got that opportunity to do it um yeah, look, it's certainly not something you can do in the first, you know, two months or three months or five months of operating. You've got to be there for years yeah. to make sure that everything's, you know, running as it should and make sure everything's legal and make sure you've, you know, got a very close relationship with the authorities, um, particularly when dealing with children. The authorities have to be involved in absolutely every move you make and everything you yeah, do. That's uh, really and the courts important. have to be involved yeah. and the children's offices have to be involved. Yeah. Um, and our legal team, Dr. John Herminwa, and I, um, we've established an amazing relationship with him and his legal team. They represent the children. They established uh, the GA Foundation, um, which is a not-for-profit company limited by guarantee. That was our first major registration in Kenya. We started off 2015, January 29th. We secured a society in Kenya um, after one of my earliest trips there. Uh, that was a humanitarian society for the purpose of Coming to Kenya, um, our team would come to Kenya and obviously donate and pay for medical costs and education costs for um, child child victims of sexual assault. And um, it wasn't until that my um, long-term work permit was secured and my residency that we were able to um, open the not-for-profit company, limited by guarantee. We couldn't open the trust there initially, um, which I know this is things that people have asked and want to talk about because the thing about a charitable trust is you have to be able to trust someone. Yeah. Um, you have to have a trustee that you can trust and 
we operate in Africa and it's very dangerous. I can't be the trustee for purposes of safety um, because if I die, that money is really, you know, signed. The person who has a signatory on that account is dead. It's also not a safety for any operations that I have um, full control over it because if I was to be executed or if I was to be taken hostage and there's been some very dark times, um, it's it's not in anyone's best interest, especially the children's. So yeah. we, that's why, you know, it's taken time to register the trust there. That was done in 2019, but um, now first registration was the 29th of January, 2015. Uh, we've got local organizations as well, but yeah, I know um, there's been some questions from you that we wanted to touch on around the registrations and guardianship of children and the only yeah, registrations yeah. that can have legal guardianship of children in Kenya are charitable trusts, not-for-profit companies limited by guarantee, um, a non-government organisation or an NGO, and the other one is a children's charitable institution. So there's no other um, type of registration in Kenya or East Africa, I believe, that's allowed to have children living in their care. Um, and obviously everything has to go through the courts and guardianship. Um, so that was obviously to follow up from the podcast. You listen to the others um, that we made with Joe, our treasurer and board member. You listened to those last night. Yeah. Um, and just before Lani walked in the room, we were talking about all of that um, and the process around guardianship and how it's, how it's ascertained and everything. Um, if anyone's got any questions, they can always shoot the trust an email um but anyway let's get into it you've got some more questions for me that we want to talk about on yeah. camera yeah so we just wanted to start with the child trafficking and yeah um the rape and um like what what's the process um from being notified about a situation of a child on his on their way to be trafficked so a lot of the time they've already been trafficked um, there's not many instances where they're on the way to be trafficked. The only circumstance that we really come across where we know a child is going to be trafficked or recently has been from the initial point is for child, for newborns that have been kidnapped or sold to be sacrificed. Um, the, the, which the people who, uh, the, you know, the cults and the people that believe in sacrificing newborn babies for witchcraft or any religious purpose um that's normally when it's in an immediate like at trafficking at the first instance yeah. we do come across yeah. children that have been trafficked however probably 60 percent of our work is in children that have not been trafficked and are victims of rape so of yeah. course we we work with children who've been trafficked we work with the authorities in facilitating um children to be bought back into Kenya when they've been sold to witchcraft or sacrifice and also within the local counties and communities. So the first thing that happens is either we are notified or the police are notified. We've got, um, obviously we've got a very strong partnership with them that we work with. They know to call us for any instances of child rape or gender-based violence. The majority of our work is in child rape and sexual assault. Uh, we can obviously help children who've been violently, physically abused or trafficked yeah. or yeah. kidnapped and that kind of thing. But the majority of our work is in infant and child rape. So either they get notified or we get notified. And yeah. the absolute first thing that happens is we go to the police or the police come to us and we go and get that yeah. child. You have to involve the authorities. I There's a social media phenomenon going around 
um, probably the last one or two years about foreigners going into other countries and rescuing children. That's not legal. Yeah. That is not legal. Yeah. Um, if you are not involving the authorities at the highest level, what you're doing is not legal. Um, so that's the first thing that happens. We get a police report, which is called an OB number in Kenya. And if it's an emergency situation, obviously we don't go to the police station and report. Like if the child's physically injured, bleeding and needs urgent surgery, yeah. we're not obviously going to go to the police station to sit down and make a report. We go straight to hospital. But we get that police reporting number because that means that things are happening legally and with the authorities, which we partner with them. And I'm a Kenyan. There's nothing more insulting um, than for people to bypass the legal process. Yeah. and to come into my country yeah. come into kenya or east africa or even you know other foreign countries and think that they can operate without registrations without the appropriate registrations and without the authorities that's not ethical and it's criminal that's yeah. not legal so that's the first thing that we do then the second thing obviously that happens um, because they're victims of assault we go straight immediately to a hospital um, that can even be the first point of course sometimes we have a police officer in the car um, sometimes we don't because they might just be like, Jen, go, take the child. And I just tell them what hospital we're going to. So, so what does the Kenyan like, social workers police do if you weren't involved, if this was reported? What, what they maybe try and get the child to a hospital. The police force in Kenya, some of them don't even have enough money for their own transport. Um, so a lot of what we do is provide transport services. You know, we'll send a police officer with a child to a hospital. I don't need to be there to do that. Um, well, we're filming this at the moment, but we've I've got the Kenyan phone here because obviously I can grab my other phone and show you. Um, this is the other Kenyan phones. We have two because one's a hotline um, and obviously one's a line for our so hotline for infant and child rape. The other yeah. one that we're filming on here yeah. is um, the one that's attached to the bank account and for the trust account and the company. Um, but we call an Uber and I can sit here right now and call an Uber. We're in Auckland. So I can do it right just... now. I can open my phone right now and I can call yeah. an Uber from, where are we going? Um, where do we work often? Let's say Kibeti Police Station. Kibeti is in Nairobi. We do a lot of work there. So I can go Kibeti Police Station. Oh, hang on, I've got to connect this to Wi-Fi. Sorry, not on Wi-Fi on this phone. I just pulled it out for the purpose of this. Um, so yeah, anyway, police reporting number, authorities are immediately involved. Either we involve them or they involve us. Yeah. Straight to hospital. Hospital of choice can depend on certain factors. So the hospitals that we partner with and prefer to use are MP Shah Hospital in Nairobi. Um, exceptional level of care. Um, quite pricey, quite pricey. So obviously if that's, if that's the option and we have the funds to use that, then that would be our preference. Um, Gertrude's um, Children's Hospital, which is across Nairobi, they have um, a location in Muthega in Gigiri that we work with often. Um, there's also one in Lavington uh, in Nairobi as well. Then we've got, sorry, I'm just connecting to this while we're talking. Um, but the one that we have been using most often since I relocated to Kenya has been the Coptic Private Hospital. Uh, we have a great partnership with them and we actually have a very beautiful child and her mother um, who arrived there yesterday, uh, the 22nd of April. And it's um, if you go to the website on the front page, you can read the case of a child called Rachel. Um, it's one of the most violent and 
sorry. She's finally having her surgery tomorrow. Sorry, I've been a basket case. Um, okay. She's finally having her surgery tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you can read the case of Rachel. She's at Coptic Hospital now um, with one of our amazing pediatric surgeons, Dr. Sally Safwat Andrews. Um, he is a pediatric surgeon and he is a expert in um, urology, which obviously is genitalia yeah. um, and reproductive um, and kind of the reproductive pelvic area. So. Yeah. Um, he's leading the surgery. Unfortunately, due to COVID, we couldn't get the Canadian surgical team that we originally wanted. And Dr. Andrews also wanted them to come to help. Um, his name is Dr. Dan. I've forgotten his surname um, right now. It'll come to me later. He was going to come, but um, due to COVID and everything, he couldn't. So um, Dr. Andrews is doing it with Dan um, over the phone. He's also got Dr. Dr. Moika. Um, that's going to help him. He's also a consultant paediatric surgeon we use. Um, and she's going in. She's going to have the surgery tomorrow. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be a really lengthy procedure. You can read about it um, on the front page. And of course, we'll be updating everyone. So they're the sorry, they're the private. They're the hospitals that we use. There are hospitals in Kenya that do free surgeries and free care for victims of rape and gender-based violence. We have had some shocking experiences with them. We've had a lot of children discharged from these hospitals to us. And all that happens is we have to take them back to another hospital to get the surgery redone. Um, why, why does that happen? Uh, the quality of care is nowhere near standard do at they, all. Does they not have like the latest technologies and uh, the, the surgeons are not mentored you know there there are some you know we've met some great doctors there I've worked with some great surgeons at those hospitals but they're burnt out they're sewing up little kids all day yeah. all night you know there's only That's a limited amount really of time that yeah. you can do that for yeah. and these surgeons graduate you know with um, their medical degree I've, I was in Kikuyu Mission Hospital in January, so after Buruburu Hospital, um, which is the first hospital I've told everyone about, I then went and did a medical placement at Kikuyu Mission Hospital. And um, I was there and we were doing OBSGYNI and this guy was in his surgical rotation and he'd just graduated and he was, he was observed doing one C-section and after that he's on his own. There's no one standing there to teach them wow, and guide them. That's... They don't have any mentorship, they don't have any guidance, and that's why we've set up our conferences and our mentorship program, yeah. which has been slow to get off the ground because we need more approvals from the medical board um, and also due to COVID. So, sorry, I'm babbling. Going back to your question, that's what happens. So the children are taken to one of those four hospitals, um, and from there they receive um, post-rape care, they get um, DNA done, they get um, swabs done for forensics and things and you know straight into surgery or sometimes they go into surgery very early the next morning yeah um and then obviously they stay in there and they get their prophylaxis so prophylaxis is the antiretroviral hiv medication um they get emergency contraception which they're entitled to under the law yeah um we've written a piece on the internet on um the website about that it's i think the page is called sexual health um just about issues we've had we've also been involved in prosecuting 
um, certain hospitals and doctors that have refused rape victims emergency contraception. Um, and I'm and I'm there to make sure yeah. this shit happens. That's, I go into surgery to make sure that things are done properly, to make yeah. sure that surgeries are not rushed. That's why I stand there. I just um, I am there every yeah. bloody step of the way, and so are my team. Yeah. And particularly in the early days, we needed to build that trust with our surgeons and doctors, and that's why the donors and everyone saw me living inside hospitals because I needed to get inside the organizations that were helping our children and make sure that things were done properly. Um, and it's not, it's not that people are vindictive or nasty or don't want to do a good job. It's just, it's just the lack of care due to um, like a huge workload due to things, things being missed, no oversight, no mentorship, you know, doctors become doctors because they want to help people yeah. and I can't think of anything worse than being passionate wanting to help people and not have anyone there to support you and to guide you yeah I think that'd be incredibly hard so yeah. for that reason we chose we choose those hospitals they're the ones we work with um, we also in our hometown have a preferred hospital there uh, details of that are on the website um, that's in Western Kenya and there are some other hospitals in Eldred and things that we use or that we refer to so that's what happens. The children spend uh, time in hospital. Again, in the public hospitals, you can have a child go in for a rape surgery and then be kicked out of the hospital because they need the bed within hours yeah. of needing that bed. That's not appropriate. Yeah. Um, we also need to establish guardianship orders. We need to go back and do the police reporting. We need to get this case admitted to court. Yeah. We need to go through that legal process. And then we need to investigate the child's life, find out how this happened, why this happened, is there a safe guardian um, for that child that and is if, a family member or are we in? the best option yeah, so yeah. all of that process needs to happen with the children's officers with government officials with the hospitals with the police that kind of thing then on discharge um, for any surgical cases they are ordered into our care for that um, rehabilitation yeah. so the rehabilitation is obviously anything so it's a surgical rehabilitation and a psychiatric and a medical a lot of the children we get need refeeding um, some of them have needed to be tube fed they need to be monitored around the clock their surgical sites need to be cleaned we're doing salt baths all the time they can be on you know a very heavy course of medication and antibiotics yeah. normally so the antiretrovirals the prophylaxis is a 28-day course um, so all children are in our rehab program for at least 28 days yeah. because we know that we could send them to you know their best legal guardian the person that can look after them and if they don't get that medication that child's going to end up with HIV and we opened the charity and it be, and it's we do what we do to make sure that the rehabilitation of these children is done as best as it bloody can be and that means making sure that courses of medication especially the antiretrovirals are finished um, we've had instances where we've heard of people selling antiretrovirals and not giving it really? to people that need it oh, oh, yeah so that's... we're very concerned and when you live there and you operate there and you know when you're as knee deep in it as we these are the kind of things you learn about so our yeah. checks our list of checks and balances is astronomical it's more like a book and there's a very specific reason of why we do certain things there's a specific reason for that reason that's why our rehabilitation program is 28 days if the child isn't living with us we will make sure that that child is being looked after by a nurse or by one of our members of staff 
yeah. in an appropriate children's home. If So if, if we're not in their county and if we can't get to court to get the guardianship, we might refer them to a children's home that we do trust, that we know is legal. Yeah. And then we'd obviously be providing care to that child during the rehabilitation process. Um, we handle the court, um, any issues in court with the case, with prosecution of the rapist, that kind of thing. Um, but the rehabilitation, it's... There's a lot of back and forth to hospitals because obviously we have surgical sites being checked by doctors and surgeons. We have follow-up consultations. We have play therapy. We have psychiatric care. Um, we have refeeding programs. And then we also have trips like um, we used to go a lot to Karura Forest with the kids because it's healthy for them to be outdoors in a nice, yeah. clean, safe environment. Um, where where their surgical sites are healed. We do want them to be engaging, you know, playing a bit of sport or going for a nice walk in nature yeah. or playing with one of our therapy dogs or that kind of thing. So, and that, that sounds really good for their mental health as it well. It is, and it's Especially good for everyone's after, mental health. Yeah. And the children are just fucking amazing. They're so supportive of each other. We had this child who came into oh, our care. So um, he's sponsored by Amanda and... He didn't even know how to shower. He'd never even sat on a toilet. Oh, that's fine. Um, he he died twice in surgery. Oh, wow. He was he was dead, and he survived. And he came home, and he still lives with us today. This was four years ago. He came into our care. That's amazing. Um, Amanda McLoon sponsors him. I think I spoke about him last year when John interviewed me. And um, you know the other children in the house really rallied around him and taught him how to shower and taught him how to turn on hot water and taught him how to hold a plate and how to eat a chicken wing uh he was nine when he came into our care and he didn't know how to. he had no idea what he didn't even know what a chicken wing was he was he was refed i refed that boy for about four months solid spoon fed because he had never had enough food in his life his stomach didn't know how to eat it didn't know how to keep food down oh my gosh and he'd gorge on food and it would all just come straight back up and it was literally 16 hours a day it was just this routine of napping and spoon and literally spoon feeding him so what Um, what type of life do you think he was living shocking um his grandmother now lives with us she is a wonderful woman who names julia she's the legal guardian of the children in our Western Kenya home. Obviously, I'm not a citizen yet. My application for citizenship's gone in, but because I do travel around Kenya and because obviously this is a brilliant example of why I'm not the legal guardian, because it's best for them to have a legal guardian that um, lives with them 24 hours a day. If I am pulled away to Nairobi for two weeks, um, it's in our policies and our procedures that, you know, the legal guardian has to be with the children all the time. There could be situations and the COVID's a perfect example. Yeah. Yes, we provide for the children, but I'm not legally there. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not in the country. I'm not there. So for that reason, um, and also because I need to be a citizen, um, we have the legal guardian there. But she's, she's amazing and, you know, she's done the best she can and her children have just had these kids and dumped them on her because these children were unplanned pregnancies this is another topic i covered in one of the earlier podcasts i did with joe um and she's done the best she can but she's uneducated she's dirt poor she's had an incredibly difficult life and she's done the best job she can she sounds like Um, an amazing woman she is she's wonderful her name's julia we call her gogo that's grandmother in swahili but um so yeah that's kind of the rehab process and but you know, it's expert medical care, an yeah. expert psychiatric it rehabilitation like in legal houses process. with legal guardianship, yeah. 
with the best medical care we can afford. Yeah. Um, and then after that, obviously, children are sponsored into school if they stay with us permanently. We have child sponsors because the children, because we've gone to court, we apply for the birth certificates. That's when we get the guardianship and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the process. But rehabilitation processes with our organization take at least, you know, well, it's 28 days on the antiretrovirals. Look, we'd say it's at least probably 40 days in total all up. Um, and I think the longest one we've had until that child was physically able to return to school was about 10 or 11 months. Um, and that would have been Morris. And there were two other children who now still live with me today that took a very long time as well because they hadn't received an education. They weren't ready to be integrated back into school. So they yeah. received one-on-one -on -one private homeschooling and tutoring. It's so heartbreaking to hear that they just, they don't have education. They're not being looked after properly. They don't. They're, they don't have anything and they don't have anyone to love them and care for them until they come into your care and you just have changed their lives in the best way possible thank you and well it's, it's not just, like it's not just me you know it was crazy australian on her way to kenya you know to i went on my own i went on my own personal mission this you know i never expected to open a charity ever you know i've volunteered for many years i'm very attached to the medical profession I've been raising funds for charities since I was about seven or eight years old. So it started off with um, a now one of our um, founding members of the Dr. Rose Foundation, who's our sister charity in Australia. Um, you know, they are very attached to midwifery um, and to the work and what we do. And it was just a combination of right place, right time. But um, yeah, look, it's been a lot of my own money that's been invested into this. We've got private trusts and foundations um, in Asia, Europe um, and the UK that donate to us. Um, obviously, you know, they're very involved in our work. They've come to Kenya and seen our work. They've been supporters since um, the first registration in Kenya in 2015. Um, and they're still with us today. So we've got private individuals, obviously, from different countries across the world that donate. But um, yeah, we're, we're Kenyan. And even, even the Dr. Rose Foundation, that's our sister charity, um, their work and their, their jurisdiction is East Africa. Uh, they have a registration in Kenya as well, because obviously they want to be helping Kenyans. You have to be registered there and they're in the medical and education realm. They touch on a lot of the issues that we do as well. So great partnership there. And also with Friends of Kenya is um, a not-for-profit company limited by guarantee that started um, in 1984, long before I was born. Um, I know the trustees really well. I met them after I moved to Kenya. And in 2018, they so asked me to be a director. A yeah, they asked me to be a director um, in 2018. They're in um, education and training. So everything they do is around educating and training impoverished communities, that kind of thing, which is obviously very much in line yeah. with the work we do as well. Yeah. Um, so we've like all kind of, of we've all kind of banded together. Yeah. Um, you know, the group we call ourselves a bit of a group. You know, yeah. where we all know each other really well. We operate together, uh, that kind of thing. Better, better in numbers, and you know, it helps us with governance and oversight and all of that yeah. kind of thing as well. Um, and obviously, because the GBV Trust wants to be involved in medical conferences. Dr. Rose Foundation um, has more of um, a reach into international doctors, whereas GBV Trust is more focused just on, you know, the Kenyan ones um, and, you know, kind of the local conferences and stuff. So it's a good partnership. 
but look, that's the rehabilitation process. That's kind of how it. That's kind of how it goes. Obviously, um, we've got court cases. We've got lots of cases in court with Dr. Haminwa. So our our advocacy and each case doesn't end. You know, when the child's recovered, we've got a lot of follow up to do. Um, we do a lot of checking and monitoring on children that have been released back into the care of a guardian, that kind of thing. But um, there's. I don't really know what the split would be off the top of my head, but look, there's only been three cases in 1,092, we're up to now, um, wow. of children who have not known their rapist or abuser. Wow. Three. Um, so that kind of horrific. gives you an idea of the prevalence of it happening yeah. within the families and within communities. Um, so obviously our checks and balances around releasing a child back into someone's care yeah. Like the book is very long on the processes and procedures that we've looked at and we've evaluated and that we've we've put in place to make sure that it happens correctly. So why what is the main re like why are these people raping babies? What's the main Well this is the kind of question of the day and I asked um a psychiatrist who's been my psychiatrist for a very long time and um you know, keeps an eye on me and the work we do over there because it's brutal, guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on your own, and it's just like, it's like a production line. Yeah. It's like a production line. Uh, last year, there was over 2,000 children we transported to hospital for wow. post-rape care or care for gender-based violence. If all of those children needed surgery, well, our average price is 4,418 US dollars, I think, per child for rehabilitation. If all of those children, the 2,092, needed surgical care, we would have gone through just under nine million US dollars last year in funding that. Wow. So it's massive. Yeah. yeah. It's massive. And why do people rape children? Well, this is the question of the day. Um, I discussed with him, and this is a question that's come up a lot in regards to pedophilia. I don't think... Um, I don't think you can classify them as your, your average pedophile. Yeah, you know, we yeah. think in the Western world, we think of a pedophile as someone that grooms a child online or in real life and stalks them after school yeah. or that kind of and thing. And there's a usual, like, age, like, they're a little bit older, not babies. You don't hear too often about babies, but in Kenya there's a lot of With babies. child sexual abuse material, so online, you do hear a lot more about babies, but actual physical assault... Um, yeah, we don't hear about it as much in the first world, but it's not, it's not pedophilia as you define it. It's a lot of it. And I discussed this with him. I asked him, I said, you know, he's a forensic psychiatrist. Um, he's also South African. He has an incredible amount of insight into the work I do. Yeah. Um, and it just happened by chance that he became my psychiatrist, um, about a month before I first ever went to Kenya. So everything I do, he's seen. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's lived this, he's grown up with it. He, yeah, he yeah. studied medicine in South Africa. Wow. They were doing rescue missions in the slums of, of Joburg. So he's seen everything I've seen, um, which ended up being quite convenient. Yeah, <laughs> You know, going yeah. to talk to him about my own trauma and I end up with this psychiatrist that actually has a lot of insight into what I was launching into. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that this is where it would go, um, yeah. but here we are today. So, and look, I was talking to him about this. I said, is it right to classify them as a general pedophile? And he said, well, he doesn't really like, maybe not. I think the answer is maybe not. And we talked about this and the reason I suggested it might not be appropriate to classify them as your normal pedophile is a lot of this seems to be just opportunity. 
Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like when I was talking to Joe, our treasurer and board member and a close friend of mine, she's known me for many, you know, over two decades. Um, we were talking about her in the podcast called A Warning, uh, which filmed a couple of weeks ago. And it's, there's a lot of greed. There's this, there's this underlying tone of, if it's good for me, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, and that's with, that's the same thing about these women that create these illegal children's homes and they, they kidnap children and put them in there to get money off even local Kenyans and foreigners who come there. And it's, they don't care about the child and their trauma. They care about themselves and lining their own pockets. It's so And it's a greed. We've seen, yeah. I've seen children that have been sold to prostitution because the person looking after them wants a new iPhone. That's so messed up. And I'm not saying this is country-wide or an African problem, but there's greed in all countries. And I yeah, think yeah. the greed really overlaps when it comes to talking about why they rape babies because it's so selfish and it's so much about them. Um, and that's that's pedophilia. Pedophiles don't give a fuck about the children that they're raping and abusing. Yeah. And I think in Africa, from what I've seen and the organisations I've spoken to and our experience there is a level of it that's just opportunity. That's yeah. just like, I feel like having sex and I feel like getting my rocks off and, yeah. you know, I want some pleasure and yeah. some gratification and for me and there's yeah. a child yeah. and just take it. Yeah. There's certainly a level of that, that definitely. I, like, what do you think is going through these people's I've, minds? I've got no idea. <laughs> I've got no idea. I know do my donors that. could yeah. kill them. You know, I don't know anyone. The only people in the world that don't generally want pedophiles dead are pedophiles. Yeah. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a that's a blanket answer. But so the ones that you've managed to take to court, how long are they in jail? How long? What are their sentences like in Kenya for, for rape? Um, life. So it depends on the age limit. I did post this on our Instagram. Um, we don't do, look, we're not really, and people have also, and I know we've spoken before you arrived, uh, we spoke last night about Instagram, so there is information on our Instagram, but we don't just let everyone on it. Like, we're not show ponies. You know, we've got our donors, we're happy with that. I fund a lot of what we do. We've got private trusts that help us. We're not into scabbing money off people. Um, yeah. You know, if people want to donate, so be it. But there's, um, I did post this years ago, I remember, because I was standing um, wasn't in the DCI, I was in another office in Western Kenya and I was talking to one of the children's officers and I remember he had on the door um, and my donors will know this image, I think it goes back, might have been 2018 or 19 and it had the sentence. So if, if you rape a child under 10 years, it's life. And in Kenya, life in prison means life. Um, if you rape a child of another certain age, it means X amount and it's under the laws. If you look at, um, I believe it's in the Children's Act and the Sexual Offences Act 2001. Um, it's written down in there, but it, it does differ. There are different levels. The younger the child, the harsher the punishment. Um, the problem is in Kenya with the judicial system, um, they just let them all out on bail. There's obviously corruption in the judiciary as well, yeah. um, which we're addressing. So our legal advocates, Dr. Haminwa and I, we're going to the high court. Yeah. Um, we're drafting a high court petition. I'm actually flat out reading that this week. Yeah. That's been circulated to our executive members because we're going to change the law yeah. at the high court. Uh, Dr. Hamin was... definitely needs to be done. These, pe these people are in trusted positions and... They are. They... And, you know, we've got a case in court. Um, it's, it was a three-day-old 
child. Uh, it was reported in the news a four day old. She was four days old when she got to hospital. She was actually three days old and her oh three year old gosh. brother. Um, yeah, they're in our witness protection and program. Brother, and yep, three year old brother. Um, he raped them and he was refused bail. But, you know, we need to send Dr. Haminwa and our advocates to check on these things because there are problems in the court and he has been let out on bail. Um, oh, no, sorry. He, they were talking about letting him out on bail, but we got our advocates to go and make sure that that hasn't been granted. So this is a court that's going on. Um, the courts are currently closed at the moment in Nairobi because of COVID. Uh, they're on lockdown. But look, you know, there are things that need to happen, but there's a lot of hope in my country, um, in Kenya. There's a lot of hope in Kenya. Uh, well, yeah, it is my country. I mean, I've lived there this long. So things can be changed, you know, and that's why we go in and we partner with the authorities because we want to be there to support them. Um, they're doing an incredible job. Kenya's only 60 years old. Kenya became Kenya once the British left. Yeah. Kenya's a 60-year-old country. They're handling a lot of cases of rape and pedophilia a hell of a lot better than Australia is um, and that's something I saw and it's you can make change there um, with very little output um, and very little money it's very easy to help a child and to change their life there whereas in Australia um, or in other countries you know I know in Europe there's a lot of red tape and it's very difficult yeah. but over there obviously you follow the law um, you work with the authorities and you can get it done you really can, whereas I feel there's so much red tape and I was frustrated with trying to help um, Australian kids. Um, yeah. You know, I had a real attachment to Africa and to African children and that's kind of how it all started. But look, that's the process and that's what happens and of course there are issues, but we, we do our best and we follow it all the way through. Um, for every, We've got a lot of cases in court that still need to be decided on. That's another issue that we're bringing up in the High Court petition and it will change the law at the highest level. This will literally change and rewrite parts of the Constitution. Yeah, I hope it does. It will. Um, you know, the delay in the cases is another thing. You know, you can have a witness who's three years old. By the time that case might actually be heard, that witness might be seven or eight. They can't remember oh, what happened when yeah, they're three. Um, and there's too much room for error um, in some of the processes and the procedures. So, look, it's things like that that sound quite small but actually make a huge difference to the outcome of cases and to yeah, prosecution course, yeah. but I'm changing it I'm going to personally fund it um, and we're going to go and do it so that's the process but the rehabilitation process and why we keep them in our care when needed forever is well until you know they're obviously adults is because this trauma will come up when they're teenagers or when they're young adults yeah, you know this yeah. has happened with um, one of our wonderful donors Sam King um, this has happened at the moment with one of her girls that she sponsors, her and her husband sponsor, um, into school. And she's a very sensitive girl. She had a lot of um, a lot of health problems when she came to us. Her physical recovery took an incredibly long time because she was so weak. And she's quite a sensitive girl. Um, and it's starting to come up to her because she was uh, six or seven when she came into our care. Yeah. And it's starting to come back. So that's why our rehabilitation program doesn't really end because yeah. we need to be there when yeah. they're teenagers you know That's to stop them becoming drug addicts and to and to put them back yeah. in therapy if they need it and even the kids today they go to play therapy they do have a checkup you know with doctors when they need it they have you know they have some psychiatric evaluation and we monitor them um, because that's what needed these children have been raped within an inch of their lives 
Yeah. You know, they can't be thrown into a children's home and forgotten about, and particularly in a legal one that's yeah. only going to profit off their pain. Uh, and that's why we started, and that's why we do what we do. So does the government have services to provide no. that to children? No, they the, don't. The long-term no. care? And... No, nothing. Nothing. You know, there might be a case in court, but um, they have children's homes that are legal and registered with the government, that um, some of them actually double as our witness protection homes because the children need to be placed near the courthouse of their case. Yeah. Uh, we've got Selena and Baby Faith at the moment who are still in witness protection near a courthouse. Um, because of COVID, that case has been delayed. Is Selena the one that was attacked by the police officer? Yeah, by the military police officer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she was raped. Faith, Faith, yeah. Faith is his baby. Yeah. Um, Faith is two on and he August was, he 10th. And was supposed to protect her out of a situation? No, no, no. She was cleaning. Um, her mother worked for oh, his yeah. mother, yeah. cleaning their compound. Uh, her mother, Rose, couldn't go to work one day. And Selena went in her place and he said, come downstairs and get a broom and a mop bucket. And he pulled her in and raped her. And he left his DNA inside her and Selena gave birth to his child. And on the 9th of August, 2019. Get, he tried to get rid of her. Yep. And the baby. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And is it a common Yep. Situation? Very common. Very common. Because there's no DNA. There's no baby. There's no evidence. There's yeah. no case. Yeah. That's... Rape victims get killed. Rape victims get silenced. And when people get... When men get girls pregnant and they have their children... They, he wasn't expecting a white person in our organization to go in and bat for Selena. We didn't even know who Selena was. Again, this was a case referred to us by the authorities. Um, I went to the Deputy Inspector General, who's a friend of mine, and I said, he's going to kill her. Yeah. I went there with Selena. She was pregnant. She was eight months pregnant, and I went with Allegra, our old service dog, and I took Selena to the Deputy Inspector General's office. I said, he's going to kill her. And she had the baby, and then... Um, they did everything they could to get him arrested and he eventually was. He was pulled out behind military lines. And that's the length we go to. And I was on, and the military police and Kenya National Police are completely separate. And when I went and said that the first time to our partners, the Deputy Inspector General, the response was incredible. And they were hammering the military police to present him across military lines. They can't go in and get a military police officer. They have to present oh, him. Yeah. And they worked their asses off on behalf of that girl. That's good. That's really good. To they know. worked their asses off. And that's the type of partnership and that's the relationship I have with them. Yeah. You know, we're, we're really good friends. You know, we're there to support them. Uh, we do work together on everything. Um, you know, I've seen other mentors in the, in the DCI office that work with them in child protection. Um, it's good to know that there are some good people there. There are. And I tell you what, the child protection team in that office is extraordinary. They do outstanding work and their intelligence is spot on. If anyone posts anything about, you know, rescuing children in East Africa, they can see that. There's no privacy in Kenya. They can read everything. Because of Al-Shabaab, because of the Somali militants that have committed atrocities in Kenya and because of terrorism, there's no privacy in Kenya. They can see everything. If you have a Kenyan mobile number, it can be tracked by any police officer in the country within a matter of seconds, down to one meter. Is that why it needs to be connected to their bank account and phone, like the phone number and bank account? Oh, no, no, that's impressive. That's just a different payment oh, system. Okay. But um, there's no pri there's no real privacy in Kenya for that particular reason. So Does that come in handy when trying to locate the... Excellent. The rape? Oh, Excellent. That's so good. That's so good to hear. Yeah. Excellent. Um, 
yeah, but um, the intelligence services, they, they're, they're extraordinary. Um, and we have an amazing relationship with them. So um, the child that's going into Coptic Hospital, or sorry, she was admitted yesterday because it's now Friday. It's Thursday back home. Um, oh, no, just turned Friday. Um, the DCI, they're going to spend time with um, the child and the mother on my behalf. And we'll be speaking to them frequently because the child will be in hospital for a few weeks. Um, and the mother's obviously very traumatized. Yeah. It's been a big family rehabilitation process yeah. with this case. If you just go and read it, um, and it's a lot worse, you know, than what we've told you and yeah. what people know. It's it's a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Um, but people need to know what we do, so we've we've put it up there. Names yeah. obviously been changed for privacy reasons. Um, but yeah, so they're going. That's the type of relationship we have with them. They're going to the hospital, um, you know, to be there to support the mother. Um, and they know so they know the child really well. Um, and I'll be speaking to them uh, in a matter of hours when they get up for breakfast. Um, the child's going to be on a liquid-only diet, which she is not going to be happy about. She absolutely <laughs> loves her food. Um, but yeah, so that's the rehab process. Um, I think we might take a break and um, come yep. back with another topic. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss? Um, no, you pretty much covered it from oh healthcare, the oh, yeah, healthcare, the healthcare in Kenya. Yeah, so there is none. If you don't pay, you die, and yeah. you prepay. You prepay. I just, I, like, so even with this surgery now it, at Coptic, yeah. that's been prepaid by our donors since September 2019. Oh, you wow. prepay. If you don't, you're dead. Um, so obviously when we're helping children, if we don't have the money in the account, that obviously changes which hospital we go to, yeah. um, that kind of thing. But we, we know the surgeons and the surgeons are consultants. So the surgeon will not be attached to, let's say, MP Shah or will not be attached to Coptic. So Dr. Andrews, um, he's also, he's at Nairobi Hospital. He's in Doctors Plaza at Nairobi Hospital. And that's where he operates out of. He consults to Coptic Private. Um, so he's a consultant surgeon who goes there to perform yeah. surgery. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's why we use the hospitals we use. Um, and I guess that's a bit of insight into our rehab process. Healthcare, a bit more on guardianship, um, and I guess the legal process that we follow and a bit on the high court petition. I put some details of that on the website um, and it's also in our annual report. Oh God, I can't wait to get this done. It's gonna be awesome. I've it's read gonna the be a really, report. really good thing. The guys, the annual report has where every single cent has been donated, gone to. Yeah, even down to medical Full, like yeah. inpatient medical outpatient medical pharmaceutical Food, psychiatric gas. play therapy yeah. it's broken yeah. down to that level it's, um, so it's full transparency with you guys thank you and i feel like a lot of the bigger charities um they don't they're not as open and honest and well as it's not just that they're just not effective yeah i mean the united nations give me a break guys look at syria yeah. You want to see an example of complete and utter fucking incompetence? Look at Syria. There are children being raped and tortured at the moment in Tigray, in Ethiopia. War broke out there. There are children being butchered and slaughtered and raped. Where are the United Nations? They're it's, nowhere. Yes. They're so nowhere. And you know how in. easy it would yeah. be for the UN to go in and get those children out of there? An absolute piece of piss and why do you think they don't do that because they don't give a shit i don't know I, why did the un act like the un i don't know i don't know anyone that likes them so i've got no problem with my public distaste 
And I feel like them being we, known. we see all these bigger charities and they they obviously can get a lot of money, but you don't see a lot of work being done. Yeah, you see no work. Exactly. Yeah. There's no work happening. Like yeah. the billions and billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. I went to Haiti in 2017. Um, you know, I saw 12-year-old girls walking around with white children. And I'm like, gee, how does a black Haitian girl who's 12 years old have a white child? It's called rape. It's called oh, peacekeepers going in and using children as prostitutes. I'll Google it. Oxfam got hammered for this two years ago. Google yeah. it. Yeah. Um, all of them have been done for it because that's what they do on their peacekeeping operations and missions. Yeah, I've, I've but, seen a few articles about people being caught doing that through the through their missionary work and as being, yeah. going over there as a charity doing the work but they're oh, also it's a very good cover they're falling into abusing the children because it's so they're easily accessible via those organizations as well yeah it is it is unfortunately it's a sad world but um look we do our best and every kid we've helped has made a full recovery um and that's that's our that's purpose incredible. and if we can do that for one child then they don't grow up to be you know, an abuser and they don't go up to have mental health issues and then that breaks the cycle, not just for the child we save, but yeah. also the children that they'll impact or be around yeah. in their futures. Yeah. You know, we're stopping them being abused. So yeah. that's what we do. That's also a perfect part of the rehabilitation. It's not just the physical and, and the therapy, it's also no, it's psychiatric. Break, it's break that you know, cycle. a lot of it's psychiatric. Breaking that cycle is also very important. And yeah, and teaching them, you know, what happened to you yeah. is wrong. And you guys you guys just do such an incredible job Thank with those you. kids and we need more people like you and your team. That the the whole world is suffering with these situations and Thank these you, poor babe. children. It just absolutely breaks my heart, and I've, I've got a I've got a two year old, I've got a nine year old, and I just oh, sorry. I just cannot imagine them going through stuff, anything like that. That don't think just, they'd survive. That's honestly. just the worst. worst African crime Africans can do. and African kids have this resilience about them. Yeah. Like if if a Western kid went through this, they would not survive. Yeah. But um, ours do, and you know that's thanks to everyone that supports us and determination and just not giving up I guess and they, they turn out to be very happy kids they look oh. they look like very happy kids mate they're living the dream <laughs> they're living the dream they live in yeah. the four seasons now they're having a great time <laughs> I'm so happy for them thank you I'm so happy with your progress and I just wish yeah. more people could know about it because over seven like, years in now it's yeah. um yeah been a long haul but it's definitely worth it yeah anyway We'll be back um, with another episode. Going to take a quick break. And what are we going to come back and talk about next? What topic do you want to cover? Witchcraft, sacrifice. Oh, yeah, this one's going to be dark. But um, this needs to be known. Um, There was a BBC documentary done on the kidnapping and selling of children to sacrifice. Uh, We touch, our work touches on that. Uh, We won't go into the nitty gritty. Um, We might keep it a bit top line, but yeah we'll um come back and have a chat about that yeah uh, in the next episode thank you for listening everyone thank you for being here um to those watching on camera thanks (laughs)